Welcome to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and a producer of quality fertilizer products. Grow the future with Yara. Hello, I'm Ken Rundle and I'm talking soil this time with John Telfer, manager of Yara's analytical services. As the post-Brexit smoke clears, we're beginning to see just how high on the farm policymakers' priority list the nurturing and management of soils is. It's mentioned in virtually every new report. Of course, what we take out of our soils and what we put in has always been important. But John, as recent headlines have made clear, the rules over soils are getting tighter. Yes, you are absolutely right. At the moment, it seems that the focus on soil and nutrient management increases with every passing day. Uh, And of course, the current hot topic of conversation is the Environment Agency's indication, very clear indication, that the implementation of the the farming rules for water, uh, and in particular the rules concerning the spreading of organic manures, are going to be pretty rigorously monitored uh, going forward. Um, And the purpose of those rules is, of course, to protect water quality from diffuse pollution, from agricultural practice. And here, of course, we're talking primarily nitrates and phosphates, as as well as sediment, Uh, as enrichment of water courses can lead to increased risk of eutrophication and the development of, of algal blooms. That all began with the Water Framework Directive, of course, which was an EU policy. But there's no doubt that the UK government's carrying that on, isn't it? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. And, and and we're seeing this very clearly, you know, there's been an increased recruitment of um, environment agency advisors and inspectors. The quality of public goods, as I think it's been often phrased, uh, clean air, clean water, healthy soils and so on, is, is very high on the agenda. And it's not just those farming rules for water, of course. You know, we, we have to consider we have ELMS policy on the horizon. We're already seeing soil and nutrient management featuring in, in the proposals for the various tiers of the sustainable farm incentives that will provide the new framework for farming payments and uh, and and so solid and thorough soil knowledge and measurement is going to be an absolute requirement going forward well you've just outlined there a few reports so it's clear that a lot more is going to be expected from our soils in future biology as important as nutrient status well i think i'd go even further ken and say that biology is the most important aspect of soil status um, for without that biology, what have we got? Soil is nothing more than just a, a bunch of weathered rocks, in essence, you know, a, a desert. But rather than that, the, the truth is that a healthy, fertile, productive and robust soil is a thriving ecosystem full of life. Um, and the fuel that drives that system is very much the carbon based organic matter that, that we that we bring to our soils. And that's our soil store and retain carbon is the building block of life. You and I, all of us, we're carbon-based life forms. And it's carbon's unique ability to bond with itself and, and other elements that brings it, uh, results in it being a, a key constituent of all the compounds essential for life. We think of proteins, carbohydrates, um, the nucleic acids that pass on our DNA all contain carbon. And likewise, carbon makes up the building blocks of soil life. So at the analytical services here in Pocklington, we've been busy developing a series of soil carbon tests to help farmers, to help growers measure and manage those building blocks. There's a range of those on the market, um, but these presumably are absolutely suited to UK conditions. 
Oh, absolutely. Very, very much so. I mean, when we started looking at some of these tests, and, and I'll describe these tests a little bit in turn as, as, as we go through, a lot of them have come from other areas of the globe where regenerative agriculture and conservation agriculture is, is, is very much on the agenda and very much a requirement. And those tests required recalibration for UK expectations and UK standards. It's interesting, at, at Pocklington, at the laboratory in Pocklington, we handle samples from all over the world literally every corner of the world we are receiving samples from. And when we look at the analysis of those samples, when we look at the quality of those samples, there's a quite clear um, picture comes to me is that UK soils generally are in good status or certainly better status than many of the soils we see from elsewhere in the world. So I think we should give ourselves a pat on the back for that. But of course, that doesn't mean to say we can't do things better and we can't look to improve and as I go back to carbon, carbon is absolutely, in my mind, a starting point for a lot of those improvements. There's a lot of discussion at the moment about carbon, particularly about carbon from the point of view of, is it going to have a, have a value as we move potentially into a market of carbon credits? And we can test that at the lab. We can test total carbon stock. Um, and a and that would be expressed as, say, a tons of carbon per hectare figure. And a good arable soil will contain 40, 50, maybe 60 tons of carbon in every hectare of topsoil. And a soil supporting pasture might be double that. So, you know, with one eye on the future and the potential for carbon markets, that's something that you would want to conserve and, and hopefully increase. So what you seem to be suggesting is that there's a change of approach in soil testing and what's tested. The biggest commitment in soil testing is the time it takes to collect that sample, uh, whether we're, we're doing it for ourselves or whether we're going to pay somebody else to come in and do it. There's an investment simply in gathering that soil sample. So to test that soil, to consider that soil just for the very bare minimum, you know, to perform a standard basic soil test of pH, pK, magnesium, which would, of course, satisfy legislative requirements. It would satisfy water framework rules, I think is a massive missed opportunity. When there are other tests, such as carbon tests, such as organic matter tests, such as biology tests, such as assessing beyond NPK, there's more to life than NPK. There's a whole range of macro and micronutrients that plants require. And levels of all of these can be assessed from the soil. So to just do the bare minimum is such a massive mixed opportunity, in my opinion. You know, take the opportunity to gather all the information you can from that bag of soil to influence your crop, soil and nutrient decisions. But I must add that when we're considering nutrient management, I don't think we should forget that we shouldn't put all our thinking and all our hopes and all our plans right at the front end of the crop calendar and only think of soil. Soil is a starting point, but we can also fine tune our nutrient management further with the analysis of manures, with the analysis of organic inputs that we might be using. You know, these are not manufactured materials, so their nutrient composition can vary dramatically from the values stated in the likes of RB209. And then, of course, once we've made that nutrient plan, we should test it, we should monitor it, we should monitor it as a crop develops. And so at Pocklington, we've made great strides in recent years at the analytical services to develop a series of growth stage specific interpretation guidelines that can be used when leaf tissue testing. You know, leaf tissue testing is a it's the genuine acid test of how much nutrition have I got into this growing crop. And, and there you're able to uh, actively then manage foliar nutrient applications, you know, take a leaf sample as you approach a spray window and then record it and react accordingly. And then even beyond that, I still think there's a, there's a final piece of the jigsaw, 
which is grain and produce testing. You know, that's a great opportunity to get that end of season report. What did we do well? What did we do not so well? What was our overall nutrient use efficiency? And how will that influence our decisions for the following season? Plus, of course, what a fantastic opportunity to very accurately assess nutrient offtake. And that allows for genuine nutrient balancing. And I think going back to what you, you mentioned policy, I think that's only going to become more important in the future where we actually balance the inputs and the outputs of nutrition on farm, particularly for nutrients that are potentially polluting or of limited resource. So, so phosphates, there are a prime example. So think of that crop calendar, soil and inputs at the front, timely leaf tissue analysis, and then grain and produce to complete the circle. What you're talking about, it seems to me, is a testing regime that's incorporated in his Wenny Farm cropping plan. Yeah, absolutely. Under those farming rules for water that we mentioned at the beginning of the, of the programme, they make it very clear that no soil test should be older than five years. And we should have a soil test for any land where we're applying mineral or organic fertilizers. So at minimum, that means 20% of the farm every year. But remember, that rule came in in 2018. It's now 2021. So if you're behind the curve, then I would say now is the time to start getting on top of it. You know, soil testing is not a should do. It is now very much a shall do. Um, so, yeah, have a plan and stick to it. But don't just think of the legislation. Really think about those, those opportunities to investigate, op- to find opportunities for improvement. And it can be hard to know where to start there. It might not be practical to do some of those comprehensive soil tests that we've mentioned on every block of land. So my advice there is to, is to use testing as a barometer. Maybe pick a typical performing field and monitor that. Or, as we've been doing with many farmer groups around the UK, pick what you consider to be your best field and your worst field and do some comparative analysis. And whilst the reasoning behind your selection could be differences in yield or trafficability or crop quality or successive establishments or or thinking of stock, you know, milk production or live weight gain or whatever, it's often the differences in soil function and status, and in particular, the differences in soil biology that is revealed when those tests of best and worst field are laid side by side. So have a schedule, stick to it and use barometer fields, be they good, bad or indifferent, to track change and hopefully track any improvements. It strikes me that we're facing two challenges here. First of all, uh, with the reduction in farm support payments, there's going to need to be even more um, concentration on efficiency and making best use of, of resources. That's the one thing. But the other hand, over your shoulder is the, are the government and the authorities, particularly nowadays the Treasury, um, looking to be able to measure any and justify any payments they're going to give to agriculture. And as you say, what you're talking about here is central to all of that. You're providing data that can be used to make arguments with. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is going to be a requirement going forward. Farmers are going to be uh, expected to be able to provide data and provide evidence of, of management and assessment as proof of compliance with future standards and, and to satisfy the framework for any future payments. So you know, and we've recently been given more information on the on the kind of payment proposal. You know, we've recently seen the proposals for the sustainable farming incentives, um, the SFIs, and they contain the standards and payment rates. 
and, and if I quote directly from those, it says each level has a set of actions you must complete to get paid. So that's clear. And when you look at the details of those standards, you know, there's three tiers in arable, three tiers in grassland. Every single tier mentions a degree of soil assessment and soil improvement. So without a shadow of a doubt, yes, proof of compliance is absolutely going to be required. So I would say start gathering that evidence sooner rather than later. Um, so it becomes less of a burden. So you are ready to satisfy those requirements and answer those questions. And over and above that, bearing in mind the various climatic uh, changes that are going through at the moment and the various uh, weather incidents everyone's suffering, resilience is going to be something in the future. Soils are, you know, we're going to have droughts at really awkward times. We're going to have floods at awkward times. And it's the whole business of being making a soil that's resilient to the kind of pressures it's going to come under. Soil resilience is increasingly a, a topic for debate. Um, and we're back to that. Concept of public goods, you know, clean water, um, clean air, and, and a sustainable, robust landscape. Uh, extreme weather events increase the pressure on soils to perform and to function. Be that function, um, be for food production, forestry, landscaping functions, such as simply supporting roads and buildings and infrastructure, and so on. And there has recently been a, a newly proposed metric come out for some work performed at Rothamsted to try and measure soil resilience in a, in a more consistent way. And that is to look at the relationship or the ratio between soil carbon and soil clay. Clay and carbon work very much in combination. Fine clay colloids can protect soil carbon, helping lock it away and, and securing that sequestered carbon for the future. Uh, and we shouldn't forget that the world's soils have a massive potential to remove carbon from the atmosphere and store it under our feet. And in return, carbon brings structure and resilience to our soil, which reduces the risk of loss via wind and water erosion. And it's this this ratio between the two that is being proposed as a as a metric as an indicator of soil resilience or soil quality um, to summarize briefly a clay carbon ratio of less than eight to one is an indicator of good soil resilience at the other end of the scale anything greater than 13 to one that's an indication that soil is degraded has the potential to sequester and store more carbon and and is very much an opportunity for soil improvements so that's another one to consider when looking at your soil results the clay to carbon ratio so if you were to summarize coming to the end of this now uh, if you were to summarize the key things about soils and care of soils you want listeners to take away from this podcast what would they be have a plan test at least 20 percent of the farm each year and start this autumn if you are behind the curve dig out those soil reports check the dates Look beyond the basics of soil testing. There's more to life than MPK. Think of the complete picture. Think of the biology. Think of those carbon building blocks. We have a whole range of soil testing suites that will get more out of your soil samples. So give us a call or talk to your advisor and see what opportunities there are. And then I would say, finally, think beyond soils. You know, we can manage our nutrient use right throughout the season. Think of that calendar, soils and organic inputs at the beginning to put that plan together, followed by timely leaf tissue analysis and then grain and produce to complete the picture. All these give you information and the more information you have, the more data you have going into your nutrient and soil management plan, the more effective and more successful that plan will be. 
And as always, farmers can access more advice and guidance through the Yara website. You've been listening to the advice and guidance of John Telfer, Yara's Analytical Services Manager. I'm Ken Rundle and I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Join me then. Thanks for listening to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. For more information, visit yara.co.uk or yara.ie.